1: don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save
0: sonobello.com slash save sonobello.com slash save
1: the exxon radio show with rob mcconnell is largely an opinion talk show Good evening, one and all, and welcome back to the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. Now, it's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and on Simul TV. If you'd like to uh, check out the broadcast schedule of the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel on Simultv, visit www.simultv.com. And in the search engine on their main page, just type in Exxon. My guest this hour is Dr. Robert Rail. He was an international police officer for the United Nations Police Task Force in Bosnia and Kosovo. As a, war, as a war zone officer, Bob performed a wide variety of enforcement assignments, including patrol, general peacekeeping activities, and riot response. He has been a physical confrontation advisor and resource training provider to uh, personnel for NATO and OSCE. Dr. Rail has a, um, you know, he's been a resident instructor at the Specialized Advanced training unit of the High Institute of the Baghdad Police College, and was awarded a second doctorate degree for his exceptional abilities as an international police instructor. He has received numerous and other rewards for his works in the international community. An internationally respected and acclaimed instructor, he is a frequent contributor to publications, television, and radio programs, and conducts both training and consulting services for universities and corporations worldwide. He is the author of The Unspoken Dialogue and Surviving the International War Zone. Joining me now is Dr. Robert Rail. And first of all, Dr. Bob, thank you so much for your service over the years.
2: Oh, Thank you very much, Robin. Thank you very much for having me on your, your show. It's great to listen to.
1: Oh, thank you, sir. Um, you and I talked uh, a couple of years ago, and it seems that since the last time you and I talked, there still seems to be so much turmoil in the world. And... Um, how does this affect international policing?
2: Well, it puts a it puts a tremendous restraint on on the policing because they're dealing they're dealing with with what we would call cross cultures. So in other words, one one day an officer is stopping someone from their jurisdiction, mm-hmm. their area, and the, and the next minute it's it's somebody coming in from another country yeah. that's that's invading or or just walking across the border and also attacking and victimizing the people in, in their area of jurisdiction.
1: You know, on the news these days, no matter where what channel you go on, you always see the, the, um, the confrontations that law enforcement have these days, whether it's the U.S. Border Patrol or Homeland Security, the California State Highway Patrol or whatever agency, I, you know, growing up as a kid, Bob, I, I, I can never remember seeing so much so much uh, focus being put on policing as it is today. And yet, you and I both know that in the times of trouble, we're the first ones in and the last ones out.
2: I think what we're looking at right now, to, to put it in most case scenarios, in most case situations, the politicians have chosen... To use police, to to berate police, to harass police, just to get votes, just so that they can serve another two years, four years, six years, whatever it's going to be, they consider them disposable human beings. And these are some of the greatest men and women in the world. Yes, sir, Start they are. The border and worldwide.
1: Yes, sir, they certainly are. Um, the problem I have with what is going on in the United States these days are, are these sanctuary cities and the total disrespect for other law enforcement agencies and the enforcement of federal laws that are being neglected by politicians. How does that work? Isn't the law the law?
2: Well, right now what we're looking at is, is the law is not the law. For special people. There are so many people, so many politicians, so many friends of politicians that are walking around that I I really think they'd look much better wearing orange.
1: I agree. I certainly do agree. Um, And then just yesterday, uh, the way a senator talked to a, a, a justice on the Supreme Court and the disrespect that is being shown to the judicial system as well as to the the members of law enforcement, who, like you and I both know, are the first responders in many circumstances on homeland territory. It's 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 crazy. I, what I think these people should do, whether it is uh, Senator Schumer or anyone else, is don the uniform. Spend a month in a cruiser. Actually see what goes on in the streets. And then, maybe most likely they would have a totally different view and a much greater respect for the law there's a big difference between writing a law and enforcing that law
2: oh you know what you have said uh, rings so true they need they need to put their butt in a uniform yes sir and not to disgrace the uniform with them who should be wearing orange but we need to put we need to put Someone like, like like Schumer and a couple of others and Pelosi, we need to put them in a uniform and have them, have them just contact with people day in and day out for one week. And after one week, uh, I, I don't think they'd last one, one shift, but just to walk into a restaurant and have people look at you mm-hmm. and know that they hate you. Now, there's a lot of great people in that restaurant, but there's always a couple in there that have the snide remark, the the, the, the the very questioning look, and what it would be for them to walk in and always have to sit with their back to the wall, always be in a position where they could see where their food was cooked and prepared, yeah. always be in a, a, a situation knowing somebody could barge through the door and take a shot at them. That's right. Sit, sitting in a booth or a chair where your weapon-side is covered these are standard things, and the thing is they weigh on the mind of the men and women in uniform that are listening right now. you know I know what it's like and 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 God love you hey, you'll know, stay safe out there and keep your mind safe and and straight and strong, but I know what it's like, and you know what it's like Rob yeah. to you know you're hungry, you want to take a break, but you'd have to really watch where you go now
1: that's right. It's it's so funny, Bob. Uh, This afternoon, my wife and I were going somewhere, and we stopped in at a local coffee shop. And as we pulled in, an officer got out of his cruiser, and he was just going in to get his coffee. And he picked up the radio, and the dispatcher said, We just uh, did a hang-up on a 911 call. The person did not answer back. The cop looks, and he says, As much as to say, Oh, there goes my coffee break. Got into his cruiser, turned uh, turned the light bar on, and away he went. Uh, it's not only the fact when they wear the uniform, you know as well as I do, that the majority of police officers in Canada and the United States are never off duty. You're a cop 24-7, 365. You carry your shield, you carry your authority, you carry your weapon. You're there to serve and protect. And I really have to take my hat off to A&E. They've got a wonderful show on called Live PD. And what that does is it actually takes the viewer into the real world of policing to see what the police officers are up against and how, these, how, they, were, how they approach the situation and how the situation is turned around, not by the officer, but by the perpetrator.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: And, and I'm sure, Bob, with all your experience in the international arena, that this is the same way as, as it is not only in Canada and in the United States, but around the world when it comes to the police officer, the mannerism that he is respected in. Is... Oh,
2: tremendously. Uh, you know, the, the problems that we have, you know, we, we're dealing with different cultures yeah. in, in the police community. We're dealing with different languages, and, and but we wear we all wear a uniform, which distinguishes us as being the ones who sacrifice our lives yeah. and our safety for victims, because nothing is more important than a victim. And we risk, we risk so much in our personal lives. We risk civil suits. We, we risk being wounded and yeah. killed. And we, we, we risk this, even the relationships we have with our loved ones at home because of the stress and the aggravation that is constant.
1: Bob, you and I have to take a break. Please stand by, sir. Exonation. my guest is Dr. Robert Rail. His website, theprofessionalsecurityofficer.com. And once again, Robert, thank you for your years of service. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the exo from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. And to all the law enforcement officers out there, no matter what your shield says, thank you for your service as well. I'm Rob McConnell. We'll be back. Don't go away.
3: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast, but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're
0: that friend, this is us saying thank you.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Dr. Robert Rail is our special guest. His website is theprofessionalsecurityofficer.com. Um, Bob, in today's world, what are some of the signs of an impending attack that could help our listeners not only uh, avoid being part of the attack, but contact law enforcement and say, hey, this isn't right? Well, there's a
2: couple of different areas, but if you walk into a room, mm-hmm. and there's several people milling about the room, but there's one person who's avoiding eye contact with you, but they're looking through the side of their eye. They don't turn their head. Most people, when they, when they see you, they turn their head and they look at you. Exactly. That's very, That's very open. Mm-hmm. But you have to really be aware of the person who sits and looks at you through the side of their eye, and they don't turn their head. They don't position their head. This is, this is a person who is trying to deceive. This is deception. And this is the first trigger. It's the first one. Another, another trigger that you should really look for is watch the hands. Where are the hands going? People subconsciously, without even realizing it, if they've got a weapon on them, they will be touching the area where they have a weapon. And watch how the person drinks a glass of water off of a table, or watch how a person opens the door. Which hand do they use? The hand that they use is the same hand that's got to be within reach of a weapon. You it a knife, which more attacks are with knives than with guns. Mm-hmm. Watch out for that 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 knife. It's, it's horrendous what it can do. So watch out for that body. Watch out. For their 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 hand once once you know which hand they're using then watch where that hand could reach what what can they say out of out of that pocket or that area on on their coat or in their pants you have to watch for that then watch one thing which is really really dangerous is a lot of your more clever street fighters they won't walk straight up to you they'll kind of Walk sideways, or they'll back up into you. Then, in a split second, they'll turn around and attack. So don't be, don't be misled by how they get up or how they walk by you. Maintain your distance. The greatest safety you have mm-hmm. anywhere is the distance between you and the attack. You maintain it. If you see a displayed weapon and your distance is compromised, then you have to make that decision can I get out of this? Can I de-escalate? Can I move back? What can I do? If I can't, if I'm pinned against the wall, I, you know, like I, 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 I talked this in Iraq and I, I talked this uh, in for the United Nations international police task force, which your country has some great officers over there. I, I, I met, I worked with, but you've got to make that decision, you know, uh, are you going to do three warning shots center body mass or not? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh oh, I I I, I don't it, think you,
1: many of the listeners got that last part. Three, you <laughs> know, uh, three warning shots, mass body parts. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, <laughs> you 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 shoot, see, you shoot when you just don't have any other recourse. Yep. it's as simple as that. What else could I do? I was in fear of losing my life. And that's, that's something you, you, you set your mind for. Uh, there's a limit to how far you can back down before you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna discharge into them.
1: That's true. That is true. Um, I, yeah. I'd, I'd just like to share something with you that, uh, that happened last night here in Toronto. There was an Amber Alert issued for a, a missing young boy. Uh, the f- and then the alert was changed to um, a a a parent taking the young boy just to find out later today or just a couple of hours ago to be uh, in fact it was an abduction. the child was Currently? abducted no by a group uh, uh by a gang oh. because the brother of the youngster. Owed the gang four million dollars in drug money. Okay, that's a first in Canada.
2: We're getting we're getting a lot of that in in the uh, in the United States. Really, most of most of we get is uh, Mexico. You know, well, well, first of all, you know, I know I'm going to get some red flags on this one, but uh, Mexico doesn't have a government. That's Mexico true. has cartels, yeah, and the cartels are running more of Mexico than than the government is. And besides, uh, you know, you you you've got some people with uh, the, the 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 Mexican police that they have got one of the hardest jobs around. It's it's just got to be it's got to be brutal uh, how they have to look over their back, even even you know, un, under all circumstances. with. What they did to us in uh, iraq and and also in bosnia a little bit is they would get their hands on uniforms so you couldn't trust anyone and that's really the situation in mexico right now and i'm i'm, I'm afraid it's bleeding up to get back to what you said it's bleeding up into canada yeah. you've got ms-13 uh in canada that's right i i know <laughs> this from my contacts mm-hmm. and these people are are just they're uh, i'm sorry they are bastards. They are losers. They they are not worth the skin they wear. They hurt so many people in so many horrendous ways that uh, their their presence shouldn't even be uh, you know uh, tolerated. It's 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 horrendous what they do, and they do it to what you and I took an oath to protect the victims. It's it's unbelievable.
1: How have they been able to get away with what they're getting away with for so long without 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 the government and agencies just clamping right down and, and showing them that you just can't get away with this.
2: Quite simply, we have politicians that are more interested in being elected and then re-elected. But see, once, once they're elected, they're, they're, their number one job is getting re-elected. And they figure the more friends that they have that can vote or illegally vote or or give them favors or take care of them, they will, they will look the other way when some of the most horrible crimes in the world are committed against the victims in, in Canada and the
1: U.S. All right, so this is where I have a big problem with politicians. If they're not part of the solution, they're part of the problem. And if they're part of the problem, there should be a way that we get them out of power before the election period time is up, because a lot of damage can be done in those four years, those two years, or those eight years.
2: You know, it's amazing, but we, we really agree on that, Rob, to, to the highest level. These people are, they're worse than the criminals we're chasing around, because they condone it, they facilitate it, they allow it to go on and on, and they're the first ones to get out there and make speeches against things. But what they're talking against, they're really they're really just opening up that opportunity of vote for me. So we have more suffering and more victims on the street, like that gang taking that that child yeah. and kidnapping him as extortion. Now, uh, I, I tell my friends, I say, you know, you don't go to Mexico. It's one of the world capitals for kidnapping. And one of the things you do is is right away stop. Stop a lingering squad in the street if you had someone kidnapped and go, okay, how much is it going to be? How much do I have to pay? Because they'll know right away. They'll know who. They'll know where. And if they're a good officer, which a lot of them are, yeah, a lot of them are, their hands are going to be tied as much as they had a pair of
1: cuffs on. Let me ask you this, my friend. Up here in the Great White North, we do things... Differently. I'll be the first to admit that. But when something is against the law, for example, uh, prior to the legalization of marijuana, whether you were in a province or whether you were anywhere in Canada, the possession was illegal. I can't understand how federal laws in the states differ from state laws. Some states have legalization of marijuana. And yet, federally, it's against the law. How do you police something like that?
2: You police it with great difficulty, as as in a lot of cases, you know, some kid can be can be playing around with some marijuana, which is actually long term devastatingly bad for mental health, and and they can they can they can flaunt it at a state level, but if they run across. Anything like in a federal building or a federal facility, it can, it can go into that one step up. If the federal government decides it's got the spare time to actually go after them.
1: It's, it's crazy because, uh, you know, I, in my years of experience in law enforcement, when I heard that marijuana was going to be legalized, it was like, what the hell is going on? Because now you've, instead of just drinking and driving, you've got drinking of alcohol and the use of marijuana combined and they've increased the speed limits on the Queen Elizabeth Highway to 110 and they've legalized tailgate parties at at sporting events. Unbelievable. I'm telling you, it's like it's a recipe for a disaster waiting to happen. So, if if I am in the United States, you and I have to take a break. And, uh, Bob, I really appreciate you being here In Dexone Nation. Uh, our guest this hour is Dr. Robert Rail. His website is theprofessionalsecurityofficer.com. And he's the author of The Unspoken Dialogue and Surviving the International War Zone. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Dr. Robert Rail is my guest this hour, Exo Nation. He was an international police officer for the United Nations Police Task Force in Bosnia and Kosovo. As a war zone officer, he performed a number of duties in law enforcement and assignments, including patrol, general peacekeeping activities, and riot response. He's the author of two great books, The Unspoken Dialogue and Surviving the International War Zone. The website is theprofessionalsecurityofficer.com. Bob, you and I were talking uh, during the break, and uh, you, you said something that no I don't think anyone except those in law enforcement or those who are no longer in law enforcement understand, and that is everybody knows about the oath that police officers take. They never take an oath No, it's
2: never... You know where you and I you and I we, we, take, we take an oath and we're so proud that first day and, yeah. and it carries through a career where we've got we've got a, we've got a great righteous pride in, in what we do for other people. but, but we never take an oath. It's always with us. It's always in our mind. It's always in our heart. It's always always thinking about the victims and always thinking about our our, our brothers and sisters in uniform. Yeah. And unfortunately we're losing more to them than we're losing to the thugs on the street. At, by by their own hand, by by their own frustration and stress. And a lot of this stress, I would say the majority of the stress is caused by politicians. It's, it's called caused by by I, I I'd like to phrase it this way, if I may, Rob. Right the criminals. The criminals we elect because they they are not relieves you, Bob. No, no, it doesn't, and it's so fast. We it's so fast we can we can get into the swing of things yep. without even realizing it. Yep. You know, I was just I was just talking the other day to to a, a good friend of mine. His name is Ray Bashirs and Ray is the the owner of, of Blue Shield Tactical Systems. They're they're just a, a top notch training organization out of out of Texas, mm-hmm. and everything is. By police and for police, but but the thing is, when I talk to Ray Bashers, I'm talking to like I'm talking to you, Rob. I'm talking to uh, another officer. and and we could just cut through things so quick and get to the pure truth. Whether it's a, a, a program that Blue Shield Tactical Systems is doing, or whether it's another program, there's a lot of good programs and training organizations out there. But but. Everything that we do, everything that we focus on, we want to make it so we can do it better yes. for the victims that we run into. And when you talk about driving by a, by a, a stop squad or an accident scene with, with your wife with a, with a medical background, and you've got the enforcement background, that is, that is just who she is and who you are, and it will be that way for your whole life. And thank you. Thank you to her, and thank you to you.
1: That's, I, I believe that if we're not part of the solution, we're part of the problem. And that's one thing policing taught me at a very early age. You're there to help. You're there you know, to solve problems. You're not there to cause them. You don't ignore them. You don't stick your head in the sand. You're there to help. And if you're not there to help, get the hell out of policing.
2: Yeah exactly you know how you know how some officers and, and this is going to ring with all, all 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 of you officers listening to us rob and i right now you you know that you've got some officers out here on, on, on you know in your team that just jack people up and get them to go crazy and fight and you got others that can walk into a situation and just throw ice on it and calm people down and work things out that's yeah. just the way it is
1: Policing has changed so much, so much. Like when I started, my patrol territory was 30 square miles, lone car. Yeah. That was it. Your backup? Well, let's see. It could be anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes away. You had to use your smarts. You treated My uncle was a sergeant in St. Lambert. My other uncle was a lieutenant in the vice squad in Montreal. And they taught me to always treat the person on the other side of the badge as I would want to be treated if I was in their shoes. Yeah. And, you know, thank God, after all the years I was in, I went home every night, kissed my wife, kissed my children, was a proud member of the community. There were times when we would pick up hitch well not hitchhikers but you know people who who had nothing. Take them to the restaurant, buy them a hot dog, get them something to eat for goodness sake. Or else you'd be oh. given a warrant to execute for a $15 parking ticket and if they didn't have the $15 you'd take them to jail for a week. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. The guy is a single dad. He's got four kids and you're going to arrest him, put him in jail for a week for a $15 parking ticket. Well, why don't we, why don't we see this? How much can you afford to pay us on a payment plan?
2: Yeah, that's just too much. Yeah, I, you know, all, all the officers out there listening to the show, Rob, you know, how, how many times have we got our hands on a pizza or got our hands on some food and then we'd be we'd be racing back somewhere, and yep. we'd stop. We'd end up having to stop somebody, and okay, here's the pizza. Exactly. And and you know, nobody ever hears about that. Nobody hears the damn word. But what you said reminds me of a story. I I, I was teaching I was teaching a, a a group of police in Kosovo, and they were uh, you know they're they're Kosovars. They're they're mm-hmm. all young. They're all in uniform. They. They get one uniform and, and it's washed and then they wear it and it's you know, it, it's tough circumstances. This was near the Goron Mountains in Kosovo and and I had this one this one young officer who's wearing a scarf around his neck. And and I'm looking at the scarf and he, he just he would look right back at me with when I'd look at the scarf. And he just he'd just give me a look and I thought, Whoa, um something's going on here. So we broke for the class to get something to drink, water. We had some water bottles. That's about all we had there. And he said, sir, uh, uh, may I, can, can, can I talk to you alone, just you and me? And so we stepped outside, and he said, you have looked at the scarf, and, and I owe you truth. He took the scarf off, and on the left side of his neck, I will never forget, it looked like something out of a horror movie. It looked like a Frankenstein stitching on the whole oh, left side God. of his neck, he said, I need to tell you. you. You need to know so you can tell others. When I was little boy in village, armor patrol went through. I got close, too close, throwing rocks. One of the, one of the men reached down, grabbed my hair, pulled me up, stabbed a bayonet in the side of my neck, and ripped my neck open to the front, the whole side, and then threw me into a ditch as they drove by laughing.
1: Oh, for God's sake.
2: So he laid in the ditch, and the women from the village ran down really quick, and they mixed up a a combination of mud and herbs and rakia, which is just the most deadly whiskey you could possibly imagine. (laughs) And they put that on his neck, and they took knitting needles that they used for clothing, and they sharpened them up, and they stitched up the side of his neck as best they could. So for the next three weeks... Roughly, they fought the fever with with soups and herbs and everything else, and he lived. He survived. And he said, Robert, every day when I get up, I look at my neck, and I know that I will be a good officer for all the days God has given me, and I will not be like the people who did this to me.
1: Wow. What can you say? God bless
2: you. I think he was like I think he was 19 and he said he was 21 so he could be in the class and be a police officer there's no birth certificates or anything but but he he looked at me and he goes on every day that God has given me to live I will remember I will remember and I will be fair to all people
1: that's a good cop
2: he's you know, and, and everybody all you know, I'm, I'm not knocking my fellow officers over there, but a lot of them had not, that was their first war zone they'd ever been in. I'd been in Bosnia, I'd seen some horrors in Bosnia, and, and I'd been in, uh, wow. But, you know, it, there's another story. And
1: Bob, let's hold the next story off because I've got to take my final break. Uh, okay. this, uh, this hour is going way too fast. Thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for your service. And ExoNation, if you'd like to find out more about my guest this hour, Dr. Robert Rail, visit his website, www.theprofessionalsecurityofficer.com. He's also the author
3: of two books, The Unspoken
1: Dialogue.
3: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you.
0: Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just two dollars. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Or combo meal, single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's-
1: Robert Rail is my special guest this hour, ExoNation, a a former international police officer for the United Nations Police Task Force in Bosnia and Kosovo. Um, He's also the author of two books, The Unspoken Dialogue and Surviving the International War Zone, that are available on Amazon.com. For more information about Robert, uh, www.theprofessionalsecurityofficer.com. Before we went to the commercial break, you were going to tell us another story, and I asked you to hold on because I wanted—I didn't want to interrupt you. So, could you please tell us?
2: Well, this is kind of—you know—you're patrolling in a war zone, and it's—it's it's like another world. And at the time, I was—I uh, was assigned to a uh, a squad, and I was with a, a a German officer, a really physically big German officer, and and we just had a great time. He, he spoke pretty good English. And my German, ah, nicht sehr good. It, was, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but we're driving around and the area we were driving around was, we were assigned in the Glogobach area and it was just medieval. I mean, medieval. The houses, the people, the look on their face, everything was really brutal. But we came across this, this old man and a donkey and a cart. And it, it, it looked like something you'd have in a painting. It was it was just beautiful. And a whole bunch of little girls playing in a field and, and it was it was kinda nice. And so we stopped and we got out and the old man looked at me sideways. And I, I, I looked uh I looked over at my buddy and I go, they're Good, this this is not good. And I, I walked over to the old man and I, I was going to ask him what was going on, but the the my my partner he grabbed a canvas tarp that was in back and he started to move it. The old man reached back with his hand and slapped his arm, and <laughs> not the best thing to do. No. So so he t- so he took him and and he just reached up and he ripped him out of the seat where he was and dumped him on the ground. And then he pulls back the canvas and he looks. And all of a sudden, and I can't see what he's looking at, Rob. And and he goes, what's this stuff? What's this stuff? What is this? What is this? And he goes, grass. And what it was, was this, this bastard had gone through little local villages, and he had given the parents uh, a little loaf of bread so he could buy their daughter for the day. Now, they won't give up a son because in these communities, a son has value because he can grow up to be a worker. But the little girls, no. They have to be sold somehow. And it's just horrific. So what he was doing was he would gather up, he'd take a bunch of loaves of bread, he'd get a bunch of little girls, and then he'd throw a ball out in the field, and he'd have the little girls go out and play, and that way he could see, are you ready? If there were landmines in the field.
1: Oh, for God's sake.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So if one of the girls gets blown up, that's just one less that's going to go home, and he won't go to that village. He'll just go around its other villages. But every week or so, he goes out with his bread, he hits the little girls, he throws a ball out in the field, and if no landlines go off, that he goes out and he scavengers for the empty grass from the war. And it, it, it just... it's. it's it's devastating, and and it was like we ripped him off the sea. We 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 had no local judge. We had we had uh, very little of anything, and you know we know what's wrong, and we didn't give a damn. And it was so bad, uh, you know. The next day when we were eating our breakfast, we could hardly close our hands around a fork. Yeah. And. This is this is the ugliness that exists, and I, I I've got that in my book, surviving the international war zone. But there's also another story in there that, that kind of represents the attitude of a war zone, where if you think you you know, you know I, I I tell I tell all my all my colleagues if you think you've seen hate, you haven't seen it until you can taste it in the air. You can actually reach out and touch it. It's so bad. It's so deep. It's so invasive. There was another scene, and it was it was just beautiful of a, a, a orchard of apples, but yet nobody could pick the apples because what they did was they went out and they planted those little hockey puck landmines, oh, and they they calculated how much the branch would bend down when it had apples on it, and they directly figured a line great right down to where they would bury landmines. And that way, it would kill the children when they came to pick the apples.
1: Why the hate for the children?
2: Okay. I asked, well, you're, you're perceptive, Rob. You're very perceptive. I got one guy the next day we're in a in, a, in a tea house and, or a coffee house, whatever. And and I asked him, I said, why children? Why children? And he goes, uh, he wouldn't admit he did it, but we knew Everybody in the village did it when they got these landmines. Mm -hmm. And he said, the more children we kill, the more, no, he said, the more children that are killed, they will not grow up to fight and kill our children.
1: Well, that's sick.
2: It's a level of hate. It's a level of inhumanity. It's absolutely beyond barbaric. And, you know, it's, it's when you put people in a category, you're putting them in a box. And after a while, the box isn't big enough. So you put them in a boxcar and then you take them off and then you take them to you take them to an area where they're gassed and they're burned. And it's a horror. It's, it's something we have to remember. The veneer of society is so thin that, that, that people can end up doing such horrible things to each other. And it's condoned. It's accepted. And, and you know, just like in World War Two, we cannot forget what happened on, in, off the coast with uh, Japan, with Islands 1, 2, and 3, where they experimented on, on prisoners of yes. war, of which some were Britain-Canadians. And, and and what happened in in, in Germany, and what happens uh, very recently in in uh, Rwanda between the Hutu and the Tutsi, where they just wanted to chop off hands by by the thousands. We we need to understand there's a world outside of our world where these things do happen, and and while there's inspiring wonderful stories. There's still that, that veneer of society where other things happen.
1: You know, Bob, one thing I'm very grateful for is that the men and women of, of the police world are now being looked at in a light as the military, that now it is being recognized that police officers can also have PTSD. And oh, yes. Yeah. You know, that, this, is, this is a major step for law enforcement officers. And something that really ticks me off is when all of these bad guys, there's these shootings. And, you know, it, it makes the news. But what about the cops that get killed every day? The media yeah. seems to be oblivious to that. The bad guys, get the, bad guys get, the, get the news coverage. And the cops don't.
2: And what about all of what about all of our colleagues in uniform out there that are either sucker punched or
3: oh, stabbed yeah.
2: or 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 beaten or or get into a resisting arrest situation where where they rip tendons out of their spine, their knees, their shoulders, mm-hmm. and they're going to have these injuries with them their whole life. Yeah. So they either leave the department or they struggle on the department with the injuries and and. We there's so much in the in in the the story of the uniform that it's it's not getting to the people because it's not interesting enough for a newspaper to to print. It's it's horrendous.
1: Well, I thank the good Lord that there are men and women out there who are doing their job and I also thank the good lord for the, the work that you do, Bob. Thank you once again for your service. Uh it's just, I, once again, I, I think that members of any government organization, especially Congress and Senate and in Canada Parliament, should have to do a one-month stint in a cruiser. Find out okay. what it's like.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Robert, and, yeah, I'm sorry. We've got about uh, 60 seconds left.
2: Okay, very simply this. Please. To all our family out there, don't self-destruct. Reach out, uh, and if you see a partner who's having problems, reach out to them. Yeah, embrace them, be with them. We we don't want to lose. We don't want to lose our people to to suicide. We there's so many people out there that care about you. Don't do it. We love you. you you're great. You're one of our family. And on the other side, please, you want to call me. Get me at kosovo, rrr r r at yahoo.com, and I'll, it's my pleasure to talk to any of you, anytime, anywhere.
1: Robert, thank you once again for joining us tonight. I look forward to speaking to you again in the very near future, and again to you and all the other people who have policed, not only in Canada, the United States, and the many countries, but who go into the war zones to make a difference. Thank you for your service, Robert.
2: Hey, I, I think uh, there's a lot of people out there far better than me, and just wonderful people. And thank you, Rob, for getting the word out.
1: Take care, my brother. Take care. ExoNation, once again, if you'd like more information about Robert Rail, visit his website, theprofessionalsecurityofficer.com. And for his books, The Unspoken Dialogue and Serving the Interna- Surviving the International War Zone, Those two books are available on Amazon.com and find bookstores everywhere. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour. Don't go away.
3: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend...